And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are also on the homepage of richarddugan.com via SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn's Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and a whole bunch of others. We thank you so much for sharing and spreading the word about the program to other podcasting sites as well. And uh, we encourage you to go to our guest's website. We'll be giving you that in just a moment. If you like what we are doing here on this program and you like the work that we've been doing for the last, my goodness, over uh, 12, 13 years, I lose track after a while. Uh, we started in 2007. It's, uh, you know, and, and 2020, which, by the way, I have to say this right now, we are on a campaign. 2020, the year of perfect vision. I've been talking about it since last September. And I really hope that uh, you will avail yourselves of whatever it is that will help you to uh, focus your energies and your attentions on your inner vision. That's the perfect vision we're talking about. And uh, that will help you in your evolutionary process uh, to move forward and live out your life's purpose, the dreams that you have. So uh, if you uh, are are interested in that we are interested in uh, supporting you in that 2020 the year of perfect vision if you'd like to support us financially uh, we have a paypal and patreon account to keep things secure we want to thank all of those who have contributed the last few years to this program and the radio time that we do pay for uh, and we thank those who are going to support us and we will take energetic support as well Today's program is uh, very interesting because I never thought about it before, never really gave it, uh, I knew what it was, uh, and actually there are two words that one goes along with this word, so to speak, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, with our very special guest, Reverend Stephanie Redfeather, uh, she has a Ph.D. We could call her doctor as well. I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today. So happy to be here, Richard. Thank you. This is going to be a fun program, I think, because one of the things that I was introduced to with my second wife, my present wife, it's hard to say that in just two words, you know, that my wife. I wish I could just say that. And it is. That's true. Um I didn't have that much of an experience with my first wife this way. And that was the fact that uh, my second wife, my present wife, is very, very empathic to the extent that it took us several years to convince, it took me several years to convince her uh, that there was nothing wrong with her, that hmm. it was the other people. Now, I didn't connect it with empathy. I just connected it with, you know, people are being people and they're doing their thing and it's, it's uh, uh, you know, it's rubbing her the wrong way, so to speak. And finally, now uh, she has, is able to, when she's starting to feel something or other, is that mine or is that somebody else's? And I will give you a case in point that just happened. I was working outside the house. She was inside watching a television program. And I uh, smashed my uh, finger, my middle finger, uh, in the garbage can lids, uh, throwing stuff away. And it hurt like heck. And I was saying some words I can't say on this radio broadcast. She told me when I came in, is everything okay? She asked me. And I said, no. I smashed my finger, and of course, she jumps up and comes out and then tells me, you know, I felt something a few minutes ago. Now, some might say, well, yeah, that's just your connection with her. But that is that is still an empathic connection, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's really <laughs> what we're talking about here in on a lot of different levels, sometimes with people you're just passing on the street, right? Yes. If we're not careful, we can pick up just indiscriminately whatever is floating around or decides it wants to stick to us. How did you, I'm not even sure if it's develop this ability or discover that that's what it was 
and that it wasn't you and you were not having a mental breakdown. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, the first chapter in my book is entitled, You're Not Crazy, <laughs> because um, as empaths, we come into our bodies with a highly refined set of sensitivities with a slightly different energetic physiology. And my belief is that every human is born with this template. Like, I believe it's actually our natural state of being to be this sensitive, to pick up on all of the subtle energies. However, there are a lot of uh, factors that determine if that's going to get turned on, if you will, and expressed in this lifetime. And Mm -hmm. so being an empath, I believe, is a a choice we made at a soul level because there's a whole lot more to it, you know, in terms of at least my definition, my understanding of what it is to be an empath. Now, your book, which is The Evolutionary Empath, uh, is it's interesting when you, you put it in that context, evolutionary. What do you mean by that? If that's something that's part of our, uh, would you say, DNA, um, if that's part of our DNA, is that something that every one of us has, but it's something, it's a tool that many, many, many of us have not uh, tapped into, let alone developed. Mm-hmm. Well, as I was writing this book, I kept uh, getting kind of higher level and higher level downloads from my spirit guides about the bigger picture perspective. And the title changed multiple times and finally became the evolutionary empath. And when it did, I went, uh, okay, aha, now I really understand what the message is that I am to, to bring forward. And I'll I'll frame it this way. There are over 30 ancient cultures that have documented a grand cycle of time. It's called the Great Year, and it is a 24,000-year cycle. Some say it's 26,000. There's a reason for the discrepancy, so whatever model you subscribe to is fine. But for half of that period, 12,000 years, we're ascending in consciousness For 12,000 years, we're descending in consciousness. And so you might be familiar with the Greek ages, the Iron Age, Bronze Age, Silver Age, Golden Age. Those are just different ways of breaking up the 24,000-year cycle. And so, you know, it doesn't matter which wisdom text you consult. They may not all agree precisely, but they do do agree that we have turned the corner, you know, because as we descend in consciousness, we lose a lot of the higher level information we once had access to, but but some of that information is preserved. And so as a species, as a collective, we have turned to the corner, we're actually out of the Iron Age into the Bronze Age. Our awareness is becoming greater. We're raising in vibration, we're raising in consciousness. So that's that's the bigger picture context of, of, of why I consider empaths to be evolutionary, because I believe that we're here to help humanity evolve to the next level of consciousness. But there are also those who uh, want to <laughs> have nothing to do with this. This is woo-woo. This is, you know, you're, you're you know, one of those New Age wackos and, and so forth. But the reality is, and this is one of the things I find fascinating about people who refuse to accept or acknowledge or even make any kind of an attempt uh, to understand many of these non- unta- intangible, unta- I don't know if it's intangible or non-tangible, uh, aspects of who we are, that immortal self. This is part of the immortal aspect of who we are, isn't it? Along with uh, uh, some of these other areas of, it seems to me like empathy is sort of akin, almost akin to telepathy. Well, and, you know, being an empath, there are, let me back up and say, when I sat down to write the book, my spirit guides gave me one directive, and that was create a definition. And... uh, you know, it, I was like, okay, no pressure, sure. <laughs> but I, in the book, I end up spending two chapters 
breaking down what it is to be an empath because I don't believe anybody else has gotten this granular on the definition. You know, kind of the everyday working definition is a highly sensitive person, but it's so much more than that. Uh, there's there's a lot to it, including um, five qualities of an empath that I've identified, and I'd love to share those if you uh, if you'd uh, like for me. To. What are the qualities? Yes. Yeah, and so I, I've done a lot of work with clients and held a lot of workshops and had amassed a long list of kind of common experiences for empaths, a lot of things that we've had happen to us, and they started to organize themselves into like items. And so it's from that list that these five qualities emerged. And the first quality is the ability to merge with and absorb the energy of other beings. And that's not just people, that's anything with life force, you know, animals, plants, trees, etc. And this stems from a very open personal energy field. And so if we're not conscious of this, this is the quality that can cause us to take on other people's emotions and problems and feelings and not even know it and cause us to struggle with boundaries, you know, the difficulty in figuring out where we end and the next person begins. The second quality is that we have a highly sensitive nervous system. And so, you know, obviously by design, nervous systems are supposed to be sensitive, but it's kind of like we got a two-for-one deal. And so this quality makes it very easy for us to get overwhelmed, overstimulated, and requires us to engage in some pretty vigilant self-care to manage all of that. The third quality is we have a great sensitivity to the energies around us and an ability to perceive or access subtle information in the energy field of all types of life forms. So what I mean by that is, you know, I believe everything is sentient, everything is conscious and communicating, but it's the unseen realms, the subtle energies, and as empaths, we tend to really cue into those very easily so that People that uh, see the dead or angels or have paranormal experiences, people who can access the Akashic Records or mediums or animal communicators or just having a wicked sense of intuition. All of these things are examples of that quality. The fourth quality is the premium that we place on peace and harmony. And that is in our relationships, that's in our environment, in our own energy field, and so, again, when we're not aware of this quality, we can kind of live from the, the shadow aspects. And so we tend to be people pleasers and not want to rock the boat and don't advocate for ourselves very well um, because we'll do anything to keep our lives as calm and harmonious as possible. The fifth quality is our big open hearts and a desire to serve others. And so this can make us inclined towards careers focused on service, a a huge part of my tribe, if you will, are massage therapists and energy healers and hospice workers and nurses and therapists and, you know, all of that sort of thing. But there are certainly empaths in kind of more mainstream uh, positions. I mean, I was in the Air Force for 10 years <laughs> as an empath and didn't know it. And this, you know, open heart and desire to serve can also tend to make us give too much, um, not take care of our own selves, put ourselves last on the list, you know, ignore our own needs. So those are the five qualities of an empath. And, and what I find is that, you know, it, it's a sliding scale. Not everybody pegs all five of those, but usually can identify with at least several of them. Now, your book itself is available through your website as well. People can purchase uh, The Evolutionary Empath. Um when you put this book, this work together, this book in this context, um, what was it that clicked in you that said that, yeah, I can continue to do my blogs or podcasts and so forth, but I think that a book might actually help a lot more people, uh, you know, work through these kinds of things, almost like having something rather tangible to... Mm -hmm. uh, 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 to hold on to and look at, well, even if it is candle, that's fine too. Uh, <laughs> um, so that at least they have something they can refer to so that they can uh, sort of continue to, if you will, give themselves that booster shot that says, I'm okay, I'm not crazy. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Yes. I, you know, I wrote it for several reasons. I, I wrote it for myself 20 years ago. You know, when my spiritual awakening began, there were so many fewer resources available even then than there are now. And so I was bumping around in the dark, confused, didn't have a lot of mentors or resources to help me. So, you know, it's still, while while it's a, a blossoming topic, you know, if you go on Amazon or just Google on the internet, you'll see empath stuff everywhere, whereas a couple of years ago, even, it was not that common. So it's, you know, I feel like I have something to share with the world based on my personal experience. And if there's anything that I can do to help somebody understand what they're going through, to give them tools, to give them context, to give them practices to be able to thrive in their life, that feels important to me. Um, I'm kind of a natural teacher. I love to write. The format just made sense. And, you know, my spirit guides said, yes, it's time. Now, I mentioned earlier that it sounds to me like telepathy is sort of akin to this. Uh, But also, uh, I'm wondering about uh, the aspects of, uh, and I'm going to throw some of these things out there, uh, like mediumship, that type of thing, or even some of the the psychological uh, research that has been done by by governments around the world for decades, trying Mm -hmm. to uh, either tap into and or even manipulate people remotely to do their bidding, so to speak, which I find just like, are you, you've got nothing better to do with your time <laughs> than to mess around with other people. Um, but it, it, it also says, speaks to me of, uh, again, this aspect of our immortal selves, our spiritual lives. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just wanting to kind of uh, pick your brain a little bit, especially in regards to the ancient wisdom teachings that speak about this. Uh, I mean, like in the Bible, I know that many people would say, well, well, there is the Holy Spirit, but we're spirit beings too. We're just occupying these these vehicles, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that we, th- th- this this flesh and blood, that is not our home. Yeah, I one of my favorite quotes is, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And uh, one of the chapters in the book, I actually talk about a concept called embodiment, where it's it can be confounding to be in a body, because I think for so many of us, we have a memory, a remembrance, an inkling of what it's like when we're in spirit form, because the, the rules, if you will, of earth don't apply in spirit form, where the way we interact and the way th- way energy moves is different, you know, we don't have the limitations of uh, time that we do uh, in the 3D. And so it is a challenge to be the both and, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, I think there are so many religious and spiritual traditions that try to make one, you know, preferred, better, what you're supposed to achieve, and the other one vilified. And what I mean by that is usually, you know, we are poor humans, we are suffering, we are sinful, we are dirty, you know, so it's better, it's, it's um, you know, recommended that you focus on the spiritual part and transcendence of the body and bypassing the emotions. And and I don't subscribe to that. I subscribe to a balance of the two, of, of not trying to transcend the body, but to bring our spirit nature fully into our bodies and ground it into the earth and recognize that we are both spirit and human. I was watching, and, and to, to those points you made about how people view the human, especially from a philosophical perspective, and I was born and raised uh, Catholic, and so I got that wonderful upbringing uh, that says that, you know, we are, we're born sinners, and, uh, you know, we're, we're born with original sin, you know, and uh, 
And and I'm thinking, okay, and I'm I'm watching these programs where these 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 babies are being born into these horrific situations and so forth, and I'm thinking, well, you know, they're no better than me. You know, they you know, it's like everybody oohs and ahs over this little infant coming out of the mother. And, oh, how beautiful and how cute and this and that and the other. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, but according to my philosophy, that's a sinner right there. You know, that's it's a icky, yucky, you know, disgusting individual who's got original sin. You know, it's not cute. You know, and I, I, I sit here going, wait, something's plus the fact that it didn't make a lot of sense to me uh, because if one was to buy in, you know, if, if one accepts the philosophy uh, of the sacrifice, for example, uh, the sacrifice never would have been made if we didn't have value in the first place. And that was the thing that really got to me and began my path, uh, especially when it comes to uh, not only just self-awareness, but sort of the, the, the aspect of, and I'm, I'm curious about your perspective on this too, um, I, I want to say a balanced self appreciation self-esteem if you will uh that that we are we are who we are okay but we don't deserve to be suffering and in pain and to be pushed around and this and that and the other thing uh and that uh um uh, it just seems to me like when people come to the understanding of this this wonderful gift that they have of of uh, being empathic, having this empathy, um, that's kind of what happens. And then they start feeling the same way because everybody else is saying that's the way you are. You're not a good person. You're weird. You're strange. You're you are now an outcast. Go away. Go out. Go out into the wilderness. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I have lots to say, and I probably won't get to all of it because you just sparked about 15 things in my head. Um, so one of the ways that I frame this is in terms of the masculine and feminine archetypal energies. Most of us in the world live in a patriarchal society, which, you know, so this is not about man bashing. This is just about acknowledging that, you know, at least especially in the Western world, we live in a culture that values the masculine and left brain principles, action oriented, linear, logical, practical, competitive, you know, being productive, getting things done, accumulating stuff, you know, all of the things that you can touch and feel and see. And in that society that values those things, it simultaneously devalues the feminine and right brain expressions, which are more about intuition, creativity, being non-linear or spatial. The feminine is more of the receptive principle, the listening, you know, the compassion and nurturing. And so all the empathic qualities pretty much peg the feminine side of the house. And so, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman in this lifetime, doesn't matter how you identify in terms of your gender or sexuality. Every one of us has a masculine side and a feminine side. And those internal masculine and feminine aspects are highly informed by all the messages that we internalize, the cultural messages, family, church, school, etc. And so, yes, we, you know, the empathic qualities are considered in, in a lot of homes and schools and churches and communities weird, strange, and, you know, it, it's kind of like, if you're if you're lucky, your family just goes, eh, that's Stephanie. <laughs> if you know, on the on the more challenging end of it, you're ostracized from the family. You're blackballed. You are um, cut off. You are demonized. And so, as as empaths or sensitive beings, we you know it kind of runs the gamut as to how we are perceived in the world. And that really is the way it's been, uh, for the most part, as long as man has been on the planet. I mean, you know, you can even go back to uh, the the Salem witch trials, for example. 
there were no witches. Uh, apparently, what they did find was it was apparently mold that was on the bread or on the wheat that they were eating that was causing hallucinations. And this is what I've. This is what I recall hearing. Uh, so <laughs> there was no demonic possession, and this is one of the problems we even have today with with people who are different. One of the one of the areas I want to touch on real real quickly here is a, there, there are two. Um, they they refer to it. It is referred to. I should say it is referred to as being on the spectrum. Okay, uh, autism. And I'm trying to remember what the other one is. Uh, um, Down syndrome. Uh, Asperger's. Asperger's or, okay. and Down syndrome. All of those aspects of the, the that scale of that uh, that spectrum, as they as they refer to it. Mm-hmm. In a previous interview, we were talking about this, and someone said that there's absolutely nothing wrong with these these people. The difference between them and the rest of the of the society of of uh, humanity is. They're living in the now. They really don't have a concept of the future or the past. They're just right here, right now. And we're the ones. (laughs) We're the ones that have the problem because we're always living in the past or the future. Uh, But I'm finding what's beautiful is I'm finding more and more, uh, I guess you'd call the mid or high functioning uh, uh, spectrum dwellers, shall I call them, Uh, (laughs) Who are just they're they're having incredible lives. They're doing some incredible things. Some of them even exhibit some incredible what might be considered savant like uh attributes or or, or uh, what have you. Uh like when it comes to music. I mean it's like they can just sit down to a piano or something and just start playing. They've never taken a lesson and it's just it's just there. Because they're tapping into something that has always been there and we've sort of what would you say we've been programmed to disconnect from that that etheric stream of consciousness and creativity mhm mhm yeah for sure and i you know what you're bringing up i has kind of been on my periphery i don't have a lot of experience with it haven't done a lot of research but i'm very curious about you know any any correlations and and the uh, kind of explosion of people uh, showing up on the planet that are landing on the spectrum. Um, but I definitely agree that for, you know, of course I'm generalizing here, but mm-hmm. for the majority of us, again, if I, I keep going back to the masculine and feminine because that's a, a big part of the <clears throat> filters that I kind of look at the world through and, mm-hmm. and do teachings around is if, you know, think of it in terms of just all of the information out there on manifesting. We'll use that as an example. So much of the information on manifesting is steps. It's it's very left brain. It's a very masculine process. Do these steps in this order and this should happen for you. You know, like it's just this very linear, you know, practical, logical, just do, just do these steps. And it completely ignores the other side of the house, the the uh, connecting into the natural rhythms and timings of your own body, of the planet, of the cycles of change. It ignores listening to your own intuition or your spiritual team or however you connect with source. It's it's more about forcing. It's like, no, forget about all of it. There's no timing. The time is now. Make it happen. And so through all of these messages, I, I think we do just sort of make these unconscious decisions that, oh, well, I guess my intuition isn't important or I can't trust it or it's the, the wrong place to turn. Reverend Stephanie Redfeather is our guest here on the program today, and uh, we're certainly glad that she's here because it's uh, helping me especially to get a better understanding of uh, of what is going on in my world, in my wife's world, and in the world of people around us. That it just it's to me it's it's really fascinating uh, to uh, you know put this all into a context that is certainly um, more uh, more understandable and 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 also 
I can appreciate a little bit more what my wife has gone through. And, and of course, I, I, I never and maybe it was my own intuition that was that was saying this to her. And that is, no, it's not you. You are fine. It is it is the other people. I didn't connect it. It's it's the other people who are affecting you on that level. Um, uh, but there, I, I never believed that there was ever anything wrong with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you did you find yourself growing up? Did you find yourself um, really coming to that a place where that's what that's how you actually felt? Of course, probably being bombarded by people telling you that that's how you are. You're different, and and so forth. Uh, or did you have a, a, a self awareness that you know this is just the way that I am, and I'm okay? Mm-hmm. The this is how I am and I'm okay didn't start to happen until my mid-30s. I was a very creative, intuitive child. I went to a performing arts school like the TV show Fame, for anybody who remembers that. You know, danced and sang Mm -hmm. and acted on stage. And then fast forward a few years and I got a math degree and went into the Air Force. And so... Clearly, in that period of time, some major unconscious decisions were made. And, uh, you know, I the way I think about it now is that uh, as I started entering my teenage years and entering puberty, my feminine side started feeling very unsafe in the world. And so my masculine came in and said, I'll save you to the best of his ability and put her away in a box and, you know, set her aside for safekeeping. And so... From that point forward, I started really shoving the the feminine qualities down, living more from the left brain and the masculine qualities. And so, um, my my I call them the pre-quake tremors began uh, the last couple of years while I was in the Air Force, and um, I separated from the Air Force at the ten-year point started my own financial planning business, thinking that's what I was going to do for the next 5, 10, 15 years. And I quit in less than six months because I hated it. And that is what threw me full force into my spiritual awakening. And uh, there's a period of about five years that I consider living 100 years in the space of five because I started working through so much muck and difficulty and, you know, just redefining everything and getting cooked down in the spiritual crucible. And so when I essentially got through that period, when I, when I emerged from the spiritual crucible, still somewhat intact, but really kind of like in a completely different uh, configuration, that's when I started really understanding and accepting that I'm an empath, I'm highly sensitive, I have these qualities, they are valuable, I'm valuable. Um, you know, because I've been called fragile, I've been called too sensitive, I've been called weak, I've been called, you know, all of those things. And, you know, a big part of my journey in my life has been reclaiming my self-worth. So for the first 30, 35 years... Um, I really lived everybody else's expectations. I'm a recovering people pleaser, and I I did uh, whatever I thought was going to get me a gold star on the forehead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's to me, it's it's one of those uh, situations where we all have our um, differences. Uh, I I grew up. uh, legally blind and uh, went through school, large print books, talking books, recordings for the blind, resource teacher in grade school and high school, um, all of that stuff, you know, and that was an out- those were all on the outside. But what you deal with and what others who are empaths deal with is all on the inside. But it manifests on the outside if you can't you can't grasp it. You can't put a handle on it to understand it. Talk to us about the difference between uh, an, uh, someone who is empathic as opposed to someone who is sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great distinction. So I, I think, you know, I'm going to use uh, sympathy and empathy kind of as synonyms. You know, they're, they're mostly interchangeable. So, so empathy or sympathy is the ability for a human to 
put themselves inside somebody else's shoes for a moment and see things from their perspective and kind of create a bridge of connection from us to them and understand things from their point of view. And you know, it doesn't mean we have to agree, but we can at least extend some compassion or, or um, put ourselves in their shoes. Being an empath is, I don't want to say it's not a choice, but it's, it's, it's a choice made at a soul level. But so many of us come into our incarnation um, not remembering that we made that decision. And it is something we live 24-7. It is a quality, uh, you know, if our, it, it is something we are born with, if you will. And so... You, you are so correct in that it is an internal experience that if we don't have people who recognize our sensitivities, if we don't have mentors to teach us the skills to manage our energy and to understand that we perceive things differently from others, then yeah, it's going to manifest and we're going to develop some wicked coping skills, uh, anything from just cutting that part of ourselves off from our conscious awareness to who knows what. Uh, and so, so many of us are um, kind of bumping around in the dark trying to figure this out. And I coined the phrase the empathic big bang because, you know, in geologic time, 100, 150 years is a blink of an eye. And for all of us empaths who are incarnating right now and the ones coming before us, collectively we're the empathic big bang. And there's a, a quote from the movie Moneyball that says, the first guy through the wall always gets bloodied. And collectively, we are the first ones through the wall getting bloodied. We're the ones that didn't have the parents and extended family and, you know, church community and teachers that recognized our sensitivities or knew how to guide us or valued our qualities. And so we're the ones that decided, okay, I'm going to come into a body at this point in human evolution on planet Earth when this is still uh, an odd thing. And I'm going to help pave the way for the ones coming behind us. Hmm. Well, it is one of those aspects that the late Barbara Marks Hubbard used to talk about, uh, the birth pangs that we as a species would go through. But I had never quite put it in, in those uh, terms, in terms of the first person through the wall. Wow. Uh, mm. that, uh, that can be a bit, uh, well, can be, is painful to say the very least. We're talking with Reverend Stephanie Redfeather and her book, The Evolutionary Empath. We want you to stay right where you are. We'll be back with more here on Tell Me Your Story. Tell me your stories Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and uh, we are talking with Reverend Stephanie Redfeather and her book, her latest work, which happens to be The Evolutionary Empath. She does have a website, which I highly recommend that you uh, investigate. And uh, we want you to go to Blue Star. It's bluestartemple.org. That's bluestartemple.org. The Evolutionary uh, Empath is an activation uh, manual, and you can get a copy of it through her website as well. And um, there is... Yeah, a, can I just say something real yes, quick about yes, you that? May. Yeah, there, there is a free product on my website called the Evolutionary Empath Activation Manual. So that's not my book, oh. but it is a a free product that people can download and start to work with these energies. And the book is a separate thing. Yeah. So you can do that. That's right. As a matter of fact, it says that right here, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, basically you can stop into your, uh, you can uh, step into your cosmic mission and embrace your empathic gifts with this interactive initiation manual and that is free. Absolutely says it right there. You can get it now while you're waiting for your book to arrive. If you're ordering a, a hard copy uh, or I'm, I would venture it's uh, uh, also in digital format. Audible yet? Uh, it is on available paperback and Kindle. And then in January, the audio book will come out and it is read by me. I would like to ask you just real briefly. How was that experience? 
awesome. <laughs> and, and I was really surprised. Like I knew that not every book was going to be made into an audiobook. So when the publisher contacted me and said they wanted to do an audiobook, I was delighted. But I figured they would have one of their in-house professional voice talents read it. And when they invited me to read it, I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed the process. Well, tell me about the Blue Star Temple. You're the uh-huh. founder thereof. Is it, is it um, tangible? Is there actually a building or is this? It, there, it is not brick and mortar. Okay. It is uh, a virtual space at this point. Um, several years ago, like my, I used to have a different name for my business. And several years ago, I was just petitioning the universe like, okay, I know I need a new container, if you will, for my work. What ties it all together? What, you know, where am I supposed to go with this? And I was falling asleep one night and I was startled awake with this vision. And so Blue Star Temple is kind of stage one. Not even sure what stage two or three or four is supposed to be. I was like, they'll give it to me when I'm ready for it. But Blue Star Temple is the name of my business. And inside of that business, I teach uh, workshops, multi-month initiatory processes. I do one-on-one client work, although at the moment I'm on hiatus because I'm revisioning how I want to be able to offer my services and, and tweak them to, to best serve people. I have a lot of products. I have a video home study course and meditations that I've created. So really, it's I'm, I'm all about providing support for people who, you know, sensitive souls who are in their spiritual awakening or who are going through a, a great period of transformation and need support. Well, I, uh, I find the process fascinating as well. Uh, and uh, I don't read book the book per se unless asked. I produce audiobooks, and uh, it is a fun process. I I tell you, it's because not only do I get to read uh, this book along with the author, but my experience has been that, uh, and this was really very interesting. My experience has been. Uh, that the author is reading along in the book. I'm following along with my copy as, as I'm looking at my screen. And it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't say that there. And I want to stop the author, but I don't because it's the author. And if the author wants to change the words in the audiobook, then the author can change the words in the audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was not my experience, you know, because my public publisher, after we submitted it, they came back with their list of, you know, either words that I mispronounced or stumbled oh, over something or no. said the wrong thing. And so they they clearly gave me the direction of, you know, don't go off script. <laughs> ah, I see. Well, and certainly that's, that is, I can understand that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, you wrote it. If you want to change the words here, that's fine. By the same token, if you're working with a publisher, they have kind of gone fine-tooth comb through your manuscript and said, hey, let's put this out in print, then they want to have the same format uh, that's that's uh, in print in audio. And, I, again, I understand that. But it is such a fun process uh, because I get to uh, – I mean, I've always loved reading. It's just I always found it very difficult, especially with the visual impairment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, 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 I've been listening to audio books long before they were called Audible. Um, uh, and, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. That's, that's really how I came connected with my metaphysical primer at the age of uh, 16 or 17, autobiography of a yogi. And, uh, I now have it in audible on my phone and I listen to it. I've probably listened to it over a hundred, more than a hundred times in the last, uh, 40, 30 or 40 years. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's 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 a great book. I remember many of the stories. I kind of share some of them from time to time because they they're apropos to to what we're talking about in and in terms of what we're talking about, for those who struggle with this, this I'm going to say gift because I do believe that that's what it is or or tool. Um, how does one protect oneself from the onslaught? I mean, if. Let's say you work in a crowded office space or business space. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine an empath doing too well in New York City 
Uh, that's got to be rough. But is there, are there ways? Because it's it's just it's always coming in, isn't it? There are absolutely ways. And, you know, the first thing that has to happen for anybody is they have to come into conscious relationship with this aspect of themselves because you can't make change if you don't acknowledge what is. You know, so, you know, an alcoholic is a classic example of that. An alcoholic isn't going to seek treatment. They're not going to seek healing or, uh, you know, help with their addiction until they come to terms with the fact that they're an alcoholic. So understanding that you're a sensitive being, all to me, what goes with that is understanding that you are also an energetic being, that everything in the universe is just a particle vibrating at a rate of speed. So we, we all have an energetic nature, you know, an, an electromagnetic field, if you will. And if we can recognize that and acknowledge it, then it's time to become responsible for our own field. And that doesn't mean it has to be this heavy thing. But, you know, when I start working with somebody for the first time, the the two concepts I'm going to work with them first on are energy hygiene practices, basically how to clear and manage your energy field and boundaries. And so for people who are new to the concept, I would say, First of all, just start imagining your energy boundary, you know, and I understand that we're trying to apply a finite concept to something that's not precisely finite, but to imagine a a bubble or a cocoon or whatever works for you and recognize that that is your sovereign space. That is the representation of where you end and the next person begins because while we're all made from the same God stuff in, in spirit form, in human form, we are distinct from one another. And so my edges are distinct from your edges. And when we can start to tune into our edges, then we can start to pay attention to, well, what's in my field? Holy crap. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> I, you know, all of these people and all of these things and all of these problems. And, and then we can start to make decisions about what we want to invite out of our field. We can engage in clearing practices. And, and one of the simplest ones is just taking some conscious deep breaths. And on the exhale, I like to just imagine from the top of my body to the bottom of my body, You can think of a waterfall running over you or angels brushing you with wings or whatever a visualization works, exhaling any errant energies, anything that doesn't serve you out of your body into the earth, clearing your field. I have tons of practices in my book for just that sort of thing. And so, you know, that's a that's a good place to start for people who are starting to come into conscious relationship with this gift. And and part of the the transition is relating to these qualities as an asset instead of a liability. And that's really important. I know that a lot of people, I, I hear this question uh, in, in program after program. So do you have any regrets? Hmm. And uh, that question actually basically is saying, are there any parts of your life you'd like to change? Uh, any parts of your life that you wish you had done something different, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is you can't. You can't change them. You can't pull that thread out of the tapestry of what that which is your life. Because if you do, not only does your life become unraveled, you are not the person that you are today without those strands, without those threads that you say you don't like without those events that you say you regret. Mm -hmm. So to me, to regret something, you know, uh, it it kind of speaks to that. And I know that there are people who, uh, and I'm curious of, of, of the people that you have associated, that you associate with, have you come across people who have this, uh, this empathic gift who, really don't want it? I mean, they, they, they want to shut it off. They want to turn away from it because it's just too much. Uh, yeah, have you absolutely. Come across- yeah, yeah. You, uh, all the time. <laughs> how do you help them? How do you help them? 
Yeah. Well, one of the concepts that I share with many people that I work with is whenever you become aware of something, you know, when you be, when something comes to the surface of your consciousness for healing and you start doing your inner work. So whether it's recognize you're a highly sensitive person or an empath or whether it's coming to terms with traumatic events from your childhood or whatever, once you open the floodgates, it's like putting your thumb over the end of a hose. You know, what happens? The pressure backs up. And when you let your thumb go, the water comes shooting out at high pressure. And that's what it can feel like when we start working with these energies. It can feel like this overwhelming gush of, oh my God, am I ever going to get through this? I can't handle it. It's too much. And I tell them, I promise you, the pressure will back off. This is this is just you taking your thumb off at the end of the hose right now and know that if you keep moving forward, it, the intensity is going to lessen. But it is, it, it you know, doing our inner work, our consciousness work is not for the faint of heart. And not everybody does it. You know, we, we fall into addictions. We fall into coping mechanisms. We fall into spiritual bypass because it's hard. <laughs> yeah. How about your family and your friends? Uh, how did they treat you, react to you before you became aware of what it was that you were experiencing? And then after you were able to put a name to it, understand it and begin to uh, manage it slash cope with it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't really thought of it in those terms. Um, I do know in what I call the unconscious years, so the first 30-ish years of my life, um, my mom is an empath too, and she didn't know it. (laughs) And so I think she was managing, had her hands full with her own sensitivities while then trying to manage me with my sensitivities as a child and of course all of the hormones and all of the drama and you know my parents got divorced when I was eight so there was a a lot to manage there so she she understood me and there were a lot of things that she encouraged me to do it was you know my mom that encouraged me to go to the performing arts school to, to express myself and to to have a focus for my life force energies and my creativity um you know, in, in high school, I lived with my dad and first stepmother, and um, that, you know, the, it took a long time to come to terms with the fact that on a soul level, I made that choice, and I, and I wouldn't be who I am without those experiences, but high school was very, my stepmother was very emotionally abusive, and my dad really allowed her to do the raising of me. And so it took me a number of years to realize I was just as angry at him for what he didn't do as I was at my stepmom for what she did do. You know, they did not understand me at all. I mean, that's really when those parts of me started to shut down and go underground. And by the time I was 16, I'm trying to get into the Air Force Academy. I'm applying for a four-year scholarship. I'm looking at getting a math degree. And, you know, so that... (laughs) The transformation of shoving all of those qualities underground was pretty much complete by the time I hit adulthood. Wow. And today, uh, it's just a natural part of your life. There is no real problem in that regard, or do you still find yourself in certain situations where you've got to find ways of, again, protect, putting up the shields, mm-hmm. so, so to speak? Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it... You know, this is, I, I'm not saying that this is the best man, management tool or that this is what everybody should do. But what, what I do is I just make a decision about who I'm going to engage with to that level. You know, there's a certain side of my family that tends to be a lot more conservative, a lot more just left brain, you know. And so I don't go there with them. We we talk about other common areas of interest. Um, and so you know, one of the things that I, I learned from engaging with Brene Brown's work is that other people have to earn the right to hear your story. And, you know, I'm not a Bible quoter at all, mm-hmm. but the quote about don't cast your pearls to the swine, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm going to make conscious decisions about 
what parts of me I'm going to share with other people and if it's worth the, the risk or the exposure. Well, I'll give you another one, too, uh, and that is that um, there, was this, uh, there was this discussion and this was in, and again, I don't know book, chapter, verse, but I know some of the passages. And it's Paul who's basically trying to resolve an argument between some people who believe it's perfectly okay to eat meat or this other thing. But the people that they're eating it in front of, they're appalled because they don't believe that it's appropriate. And basically, Paul is saying, well, then fine. If that's if you if uh, if the other people around you are having a problem with what you're doing, then don't do it in front of them. Be considerate of other people, and uh, um, you know you want to have a discussion about it. Fine, but don't flaunt your uh, understanding of the faith in front of other people if they're not ready for it. You know, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that they're wrong and you're right. Or vice versa, just don't flaunt it, and that's kind of what I, I get I get from what you're saying as well. Don't flaunt it in front of people who aren't ready for it. Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah, and I'm I'm not a um, apply one methodology to every situation. Right. You know, I'm much more of a situational kind of person. But you know, I also know that my growing edge is being who I am in every situation in my life. Like when I, earlier in my life, I was much more about what do I need to mold myself into to be palatable to you? And, and that took priority over me showing up as my authentic self. Does that make sense? It does indeed. It does indeed. And we need to do that. And that's, again, it's hard in our society today um, to be bold enough, brave enough, have enough courage to to be our authentic selves because <laughs> uh, right now, apparently, um, people are out there, they're judging you on just the smallest things. You're either in or you're out if you tie your shoes in a square knot. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I have something to, to share along those lines. You know, I obviously get reviews on Amazon and there's a woman who took such exception to my last name, thinking that Red Feather meant that I was an actual, uh, actual Native American descent, and decided that because I'm a white girl, that I'm co-opting Native American, um, you know, heritage and spirituality, and stopped reading the book. And and gave me a one out of five because that offended her so much. Yeah. Well, I uh, I've had similar experiences with this radio program. I was a gentleman I was going to interview. I was rather interested in his perspective. Not that I would agree with it, but it was interesting. And I thought it would be a, a, an interesting topic in terms of, for example, healing our nation. I think was uh, heal the nation. I think was the title of the book. This was a Christian pastor. And he was basing his uh, his uh, book on, uh, I think it's um, I think it's Second Chronicles, uh, having to do with uh, if a people who are called by my name will humble themselves and do all of these different things, you know, then God will bless them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I paraphrase this ain't King Jimmy here. Well, the guy finally went to my website. He saw what we were all about. Uh, and sent an email to the publisher saying, "Oh, you know, I should have checked this out before." The guy's got a lot of weird stuff on his website. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, would you pass on to this author, this pastor, that he does not have a clue as to who might be listening, who might be touched by what he has to say? I don't crucify people on this program. This is not 60 Minutes of the 1970s. Uh, you know, this is a program that's putting out different ideas, and I have had a lot of Christian authors on this program. I don't have a problem with that. I worked for 15 years for a Christian radio station. So I have a pretty good understanding of of where many of these folks are coming from mm-hmm. and the fact that they're just they're just trying to share their particular uh, philosophical bent on on uh, Christianity uh, to the rest of the world. That's all. Just like you are doing the same thing in regards to your understandings of the philosophical aspects and underpinnings of empathy, of being an empath. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my goodness, uh, you know, people need to. Lighten up. <laughs> they need to lighten well, up. Well, and you know, I when things like that happen for me, 
first of all, I acknowledge my own inner reaction because I know that I'm human and there's a part of me that gets my feelings hurt or, or wants to defend. And so I, I allow myself my process and I work through that. And then I get to a point where I just extend compassion to the person, you know, not like from a place of superiority or righteousness, but just, you know, where they are in consciousness this particular thing is a threat to them. I'm sorry that, that we couldn't find common ground, and I just bless them and let it go. Yeah. Reverend Stephanie Redfeather, uh, may I ask how you came to that uh, last name, Redfeather? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my whole life I've always um, kind of resonated with indigenous earth-based practices. My spirituality is an eclectic mix. I practice a Peruvian tradition of shamanism. So there's a a lot of pieces that I pull from that resonate for me. And uh, a number of years ago, it was after uh, my divorce in 2006, I was having a healing session with one of my shaman mentors. And I'm standing on a buffalo hide. My eyes are closed. He's taking me through a process. And all of a sudden, I start having a vision. And among other things, what I'm seeing directly in front of me is uh, a Native American man in full regalia, full uh, floor floor length, ground length, feathered um, headdress, and every single feather was red. And it just all of a sudden struck me, oh my gosh, I think I'm being given a name. And so I I called out and I, I shared the vision with him and he tuned into his guides and we did a ceremony to anchor it into the earth grid. And so for a number of years in spiritual circles, I would go by the name Redfeather. And then when I got married again in 2011, I chose to take it on as my legal last name. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting process to do that. Um, In terms of changing one's name, my wife, uh, her current name is not her birth name. She was given that name by her mentor, uh, and I happened to be with her throughout that process when it was given to her, and then she decided to change her name legally uh, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, when we were first together, I used to be called by another name that I thought about for a long time changing legally along with her when she did hers. But then I thought, no, I, I don't have a I, I don't have that same urgency, if you will. I'm not being drawn to do that in the same way that she is. And there's no reason for me to do that if I'm not being drawn to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's another aspect of this whole area that we are talking about on this program um, consistently throughout. And that is don't do something that you don't feel comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. And that's really a very important lesson for all of us to learn. Uh, at the same time, you also have to weigh that against, I may feel uncomfortable, but, you know, this could be real beneficial for me. You know, this could be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but, yeah. and that's where that you, have to, you have to trust that, that your intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as uh, as far as the the uh, empathic abilities how does that relate to how do you coordinate, uh, coordinate? how do you um, synchronize or, or intermix, if you will, uh, your empathic abilities with your intuition? Mm-hmm. It, to me, they're, they're of a piece. You know, my intuition is just one aspect of my empathic nature. And, you know, I, I mentioned in my spiritual awakening, I, it was, a big piece of it was bringing my feminine side back and now it's not like I'm more feminine than masculine it's there there's a balance and I call upon both qualities as I need them but I live my life with a lot more grace and flow because definitely in the earlier years of my life I have a very strong will I would force things I would make them happen I subscribed to that masculine sort of just hammer that square peg in that round hole (laughs) and and make it fit and, you know, now my, my intuition, my ability to listen to my body, to listen to my guides, that is a daily part of how I live my life. Mm. We are very grateful that you have given us so much time here, Reverend uh, Stephanie Redfeather, to uh, share your story, to share the, the book that you have uh, uh, made available and are presenting to our listeners, The Evolutionary Empath. 
And we encourage you to go to her website and get your free uh, uh, activation manual, if you will, and uh, and begin that process. Go to her website, bluestartemple.org, uh, and um, learn more about what is available through uh, Reverend Stephanie Redfeather. We thank you so much. And should you find yourself uh, in the Santa Barbara area, we would love to have you in, in studio to continue this conversation. I, I know there's a lot more uh, to be said, and we could even begin the process in another program of maybe uh, taking people through the steps uh, to, I don't know, get more in touch with that empathic part of themselves uh, that, as you say, you know, we all sort of have uh, and find out if that's a, an area that uh, you want to go. I mean, my wife has gotten to the point now where she's actually able to actually use it to help the people that she works with, the patients that she works with. And boy, I tell you, when you can when you can turn that tool around from being bombarded to then choosing mm-hmm. uh, uh, those individuals, it, it goes a long way. Yeah, I appreciate your offer. I would love to do that. Before we let you go, I have three final questions that I want to ask you, and you may have addressed them some uh, to some degree during the program. I like to ask them directly. Uh, before I do, I want to remind our listeners, uh, again, her website is bluestartemple.org. The book is called The Evolutionary Empath, and uh, Reverend Stephanie Redfeather is my guest. And we encourage you to go to the podcast location, starting with SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, as well as many others. And if you can support us, we'd greatly appreciate it through our PayPal and Patreon accounts that are on, on the homepage and on the missions page. And uh, so the first of the three questions that I want to ask you are, or is, who is Stephanie Redfeather? Mm. Uh, she is a spiritual being who's had many incarnations and is um, still evolving in this lifetime. I mean, this this is a this could be a long, <laughs> long answer, um, but I'm I'm here to experience my God self in human form, just like I believe everybody else is. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I want people who are going through spiritual crisis or spiritual awakening or um, trying to make positive change in their life to have support, to know they're not alone, to have tools, to have somebody hold space for them and help explain the more subtle esoteric aspects of what they're going through and to give them the tools to help them. And finally... What is your life's purpose? Mm. I think of that in several terms. In the in the grander purpose, it's kind of what I spoke about of of you know being an individuation of creator, being in human form, experiencing myself as that. Um, in a in a more personal note, as to Stephanie Redfeather, the individual purpose. Um, is just to be of the greatest support that I can to the um, collective ascension of humanity. Well, Reverend Stephanie Redfeather, we want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. And um, I'm just feeling led to, if you have any final words for our listeners. Yeah. Um, I personally can take things very seriously. So if there's anything I'm saying that feels heavy, like, oh, my God, I have this cosmic mission, just know that it doesn't mean you have to change your life or now step out on a bigger stage. Just be who you are, where you are. It is your consciousness about the matter that matters. I want to thank you once again. Again, the website is bluestartemple.org. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until next time, love, Talal.